Hello, everyone. I'm Dr. Darsh Shah. And I'm Dr. Altamash Raja. And welcome to Medicine Redefined, a podcast where we will explore the often overlooked but necessary components of health, what we consider to be the fundamentals. We will investigate topics and practices that can give you and your patients the best chance to optimize a healthy lifestyle. It's time to move the needle forward and put the health back in healthcare. What is going on, guys? Welcome back to another episode. Today, we have an extremely special guest, and I cannot wait to share this conversation with you. But before we get into the show, here's a quick message from MR Insurance, a small business that helps physicians with their disability insurance needs. Michael L. Relvas is a CFP professional and insurance agent committed to helping physicians nationwide with their term life and disability insurance needs. He provides an objective, transparent, and education-focused process that aims to help physicians make prudent decisions and avoid overcomplicating things. He exclusively offers own occupation disability insurance policies for residents, fellows, and attending physicians. We know he'd be happy to help you with whatever your needs are. You can find Michael at drpodcastnetwork.com slash mrinsurance or contact him at 800-817-4522. Our guest today is Dr. Giselle Arney. Dr. Arney is a sports medicine physician who has covered everything from high school sports to the WNBA. And along the way, she's even racked up a couple of national championships at both the NCAA Division I and Division III level. She previously served as a sports medicine fellowship program director and has mentored countless residents and fellows throughout their medical journey. On a personal level, she was a collegiate lacrosse player, as well as an elite martial artist who I believe competed or at the very least qualified for the Junior Olympics. In this episode, we cover her journey into and out of academic medicine. We talk about a critical issue that does not get nearly the attention it deserves and that's the issue of gender disparities in medicine and in sports. We talk about the history, how we got here, but more importantly, how we can move forward and make the system better. You'll learn much more about her and how she decided to take matter into her own hands by stepping away to step forward, which I found particularly fascinating and inspiring. Even though she's no longer in academic medicine in the traditional sense, she remains passionate about mentorship and coaching young female physicians on how to navigate through challenges they might face in this field. Lucky for you guys, she's launching a brand new course that covers all this and more. So I would highly recommend that you check that out. And if you're interested, you'll be able to find all that information in her website that's linked in our show notes. We had an incredible conversation with Dr. Arnie and realized about halfway through that there was no way we'd be able to cover all the things we wanted to. So we decided to split this up into two parts with somewhat different but related topics. I think it's safe to say that the more important part of the conversation is where we started but you'll want to tune in next week's episode to get more of the science and actionable tips for women's health and gender-specific training. So without further delay, please enjoy part one of our discussion with Dr. Arnie. All right, guys, welcome back to another episode. Today, we have Dr. Giselle Arnie with us. Dr. Arnie, how are you? I'm doing great. Thanks. It's so good to to see you, to talk to you again. It's definitely been a couple of years since we we last chatted and and definitely in different circumstances. Um, And so, you know, I, it's I'm, I'm so excited for this conversation. We've been listening to to everything that you have been doing, and it's funny. One of uh, my mentors, Dr. Du, Dr. Raj Du, uh, he recently pointed me back in your direction. Uh, he, I think, you guys recently had a conversation, and, and we were just talking about the fellows conference coming up. And uh, I guess you guys were talking about that, and so he mentioned your new project that you're doing. So we're definitely excited to talk more about that. But before we we dive into all that, why don't you? you know, tell us a little bit about yourself, your journey, and, you know, what inspired you to be where you are today? 
Yeah, great. Um, Dr. Dew is wonderful, so I'm excited that you're getting to work with him. Um, so I'm a sports medicine physician. I'm family medicine trained, sports medicine fellowship trained. I got into sports medicine not knowing what I wanted to do. I was one of the med students who kind of liked everything, um, but I always had this idea of working with college student athletes that I just felt like that was a fun population. I would have a chance to make a difference because they were sort of kind of figuring out their independence, like starting to get independent, but not really. And that would be where I could kind of get in and make a difference. And so as I went along, it really just became a natural fit, the primary care sports medicine. And I've been very lucky. I've been able to be a team physician for D1 universities, UConn, Yale. Um, I've been team physician for D3 universities. Um, Gettysburg College won national championship in women's lacrosse while I was there. I have three national championship rings. It's it's insane. It's such a wonderful perk sometimes in our in our life. Um, and one of the things that I sort of realized along the way was that aside from being the team physician and working with the college student athletes, I really enjoyed teaching. I've always been a faculty member. I've been program director at two different programs and the mentorship um, and particularly of my female fellows, female residents, female med students in kind of navigating this world. You know, sports medicine is particularly male dominated. A lot of medicine is male dominated and navigating that world. And I really enjoyed the mentorship of their career of their life beyond just teaching them the sports medicine, musculoskeletal knowledge. So as I've, you know, been going through this career, you know, getting interested in podcasts, listening to people sort of branch out, listening to physicians who've taken their work beyond clinical, beyond just seeing patients, um, was really eye-opening for me. And so I had this idea to start the podcast. So my podcast is called Madam Athlete. Um, come check it out. It's fantastic. Uh, but I interview women who work in sports and athletics. So I have sports medicine physicians, athletic trainers, strength and conditioning coaches, sport nutritionists. And I'm really trying to talk to them about their career journey to find out what challenges have they had, what triumphs have they had, what advice do they have for other women who are looking to go into this space. And it's really been incredible. I've met so many amazing women. And I think as a woman in a male-dominated field, having a network of other women, whether they're your exact career or not, but getting to hear from their stories, getting to hear from their life lessons. I think you can build a community of support that helps you feel like you're not alone. So uh, that has been my most recent venture is starting this. Um, it's been going fantastic. I'm 35 episodes in and I next will be looking at creating courses to sort of take my work as a fellowship director and faculty and put it into online courses so that fellows, early career physicians, residents who want to work on their career and want to learn those sort of nuances that you don't learn about in med school, um, you know, dealing with perfectionism, dealing with imposter syndrome, how do you negotiate all these sort of skills that a physician really needs or that, again, a sports medicine professional, athletic trainer, strength and conditioning coach, um, would really benefit from having. And so by putting this into an online course, then I'm able to really serve an even larger audience than the two fellows that you get per year when you're a fellowship director. So that's my next phase. We're working on it right now. So it's been a really exciting and uh, different journey for me. Absolutely, Dr. Arnie. This is so cool to hear and see you do all these things, right? You're just, you're wearing so many hats. But what I, what I really love is you found your passion, right? Like as an athlete and you're almost repurposing it right? Not only just as a mentor 
in person, whether you know it's being a program director, but also being a coach, which you're also taking actionable steps, you know, through your podcast. And so, how'd you how'd you develop that passion? Right? Was there was there any particular event that comes to mind where you say, "This is it. This is what I want to do, and I want to impact women." Oh, that's a great question. I don't know. Um, I think going along in medicine as a woman. Part of what you have to do to succeed is pretend that you're not a woman and uh, attack it almost, okay, here's how the men do it. I've got to go after it. And um, it, it takes a while sometimes to realize that you're being kind of stuck into this label and you have to kind of act differently to fit in with medicine and to fit in with all the male leaders and, um, and having situations where I'm in a position coming in new, being asked to overhaul a department, make changes. That was like why I was hired. Seeing a young male uh, pharmacist in this case come in being tasked with the same thing for the pharmacy department. And then watching the two of us at this exact same level being tasked with the same goals and the male can fire people, get rid of people, make changes. And everyone thinks that he's strong and capable. And I try to say, hey, we need to do things differently. And I get just pushback. Just why are you being, you're not playing nice. You're, um, you're not working well with others. And it's really going, you, you asked me here for my experience because I've done this work because I know what I'm doing. And I'm not even trying to fire this person who maybe we don't, don't actually need. I'm trying to say, how can we even incorporate them in the department differently so that we're being most effective? And it, it gets full pushback. So the more that you know you see these things kind of pop up from you know big issues like that to even small issues of no we're not going to buy you a woman shaped coat because we want everyone to look the same on the sideline so you have to get the same man shaped coat which looks stupid and <laughs> makes me look like a child like in dress up clothes um and so it kind of just as i keep going along and as i've had my female fellows you just become more attuned to what's going on and so this for me again you know there's always not there's not always a lot of women sports medicine physicians around me. And so I built my network and my community by being friends with the female athletic trainers and the strength and conditioning coaches and the sports psychologists and building that network and then building a network outside of where my institution was, but through our national societies like AMSSM and ACSM. That's how I started to begin to build a group where I could go, oh, geez, this ridiculous thing happened to me today and have someone on the other end who knows exactly what I'm talking about and can talk me through that. And so that kind of prompted the, you know, I think something like this would be worthwhile. I think because I've always been multidisciplinary and worked with large groups and done this coaching and mentoring that it just kind of feels like this is the next step and I could be the one to do this for other women so that they would have this support. Dr. Arnie, a lot of what you're talking about, to me, you know, it's, it's very much this conversation about gender disparities in sports and medicine and a little bit of both, right? And, you know, at the risk of walking down and making this a history class, I'm, I'm really interested to know, you know, why, like, I know how we got here. And, and what I'm not understanding is why haven't we progressed more in every other aspect of when it comes to sports and medicine? and exercise science and physiology, all the things that we routinely talk about on this show, we are making strides. But when it comes to this gender disparity in sports and women, we are it's a very antiquated mindset. For instance, the recent debacle by the NCAA and the failure, which 
I, I told Darsh, I just brought this up to him the other day, you know, him being intern, he's not as connected. When I first saw that on social media, I was like, okay, it wasn't April 1st, but I was like, this is clearly a joke, right? This is not possibly true. And then it was just getting a lot more, uh, you know, a spotlight. And, and then I went and looked into it. I just, it blew my mind. It baffles me that somebody will drop the ball. Now, to the NCAA's credit, you know, this is a little beginning of April. Recently, they had a large video conference with the president of the NCAA, a lot of coaches in the women's sport talking about the issues, how we can get better. But I, I'm curious to hear your thoughts. You worked with, as you mentioned, Division One, Division Three. you're a program director. You, you've had the role as a team physician. How are we still here where the NCAA, this multi-billion dollar institution is still dropping the ball to this degree? It honestly is shocking um, and not shocking all at the same time. You know, I think that in many ways, there's a lot of clear disparities that are much more subtle, that are easy to say that, you know, all the winter coats um, that the athletes get, they're all man-shaped. Like that's just, and nobody questions that. Nobody says, is this a Title IX disparity that the sports clothing that the athletes are getting um, is going to pr primarily for, you know, coats, for long sleeve shirts, for stuff is going to be for sweatsuits is going to be man shaped and that they're not making like separate female shaped clothes for the women. Um, and so even things as subtle as that, but then, you know, you look at what is the advertising budget for the women's sports? What is the marketing for the women's sports? You know, the, everyone kind of goes, oh, the men's sports are just paying for the women's sports. They're just like tagging along. So they just get the leftovers. But when you look at NCAA recently, right, the UConn Baylor game and go UConn, by the way, I have my loyalties. Um, the UConn Baylor game was the most watched game in the tournament, men's or women's. Um, and it had like double the social media engagement. And so like the hunger is there. People like this. But if you're not going to market it, if you're not going to advertise it, if you're not going to put the money in, you're not going to get the money out. You're not going to see it. And so I think we have a lot of tired old tropes that Nobody cares about women's sports, that there's not a market for it, that there's not a fan base for it. But when you're, again, when you're not putting in the money to market it, when you're not advertising it, when you're not hyping it up the same way, when March Madness means men's NCAA basketball and not women's NCAA basketball and men's, right? When you default, you know, I saw recently an article that was saying U.S. soccer didn't make the Olympics. Uh, yes, it did. The women's soccer did. The reigning World Cup champs did. The men's soccer team isn't going to make the Olympics, but right. Um, so it's it's truly everywhere. I think that sometimes when you see it so blatant, like with the weight room discrepancies at the NCAA um, most recently, that's when it feels shocking because you can't hide that. You can't pretend that that's not clearly different. Um, there's a lot of very subtle ways that that women are not given the same opportunities, are not given the same support, do not have the same access to women coaches, right? Since Title IX, um, in a weird way, uh, women's there's less women coaches for women's teams than there ever were before. So you'll have a department that has equal men's and women's teams, but has two women's coaches for the whole department. So I, it's, it's frankly, it's all over the place. I will say that I think within medicine, um, Again, you still see that the head athletic trainers are male, even though we have a similar number of male to female athletic trainers. Same thing for the head team physicians, both orthopedic and primary care sports medicine. Um, 
the head team positions are are typically much more common to be male and less female, even though the fellows coming into sports medicine fellowship right now are 50-50 split. We have a pretty even split, but those top positions tend to go to the men, um, the lead positions, the head coaching positions. And then it's still, sports medicine is still treated as a, not sports medicine, women's sports are still treated as a joke, you know, in the media. There's a new movie coming out. I forget what it is, but um, the it's a male coach is acting up and as punishment, he's sent to go coach the women's team. Like, you know, and so being the coach of the women's sports team is considered a joke. It's a punishment. So it's it's truly, it's kind of pervasive. I think that um, we are making small strides, right? So orthopedic surgery is only 6% of attending physicians are women. Um, but in the most recent, uh, if you look at the residents, 15% of residents are women. So it's, it's moving, right? It's, and you have to kind of, I think you have to try to stay a little hopeful because otherwise it could just, you know, why bother? Let's all quit because this is ridiculous. Um, and I think that what is it? The LA Sparks just got the first beer, um, alcohol sponsor, I think Molson maybe. And so, you know, as we see this happen, like with NCAA, with the women's UConn Baylor game, be the most watched game, have the most social media engagement. I think you're going to start to see the companies go, oh, okay, they have a fan base. And so maybe if we put some money there, we'll get some money back. And once you get the money involved, then I think, you know, it's you're going to have a chance to kind of change the culture. Yeah, absolutely. No, Sorry, I no, could talk about that, I think, for another two yeah, days. Yeah, <laughs> and which we would love to even get into, right? So what's crazy here is Altamash texted me about that NCAA debacle a couple of days ago. And what's funny is I check ESPN almost every day, right? With sports, I'm like, I'm, I'm, I'm very into sports. And what's crazy is that I never saw that headline. And so Altmash again sends me another post yesterday through Instagram that shows that only 4% of sports coverage is on the, the uh, women's side of sports, right? So there's a disparity within the disparity. And I'm with you. The NCAA March Madness this year has been exciting, I think, more so on the women's side than it has been on the men's side. Um, and it's funny because I, when you watch that Baylor-UConn game, there was that foul at the end, at least, is what you know a lot of people are saying. But it really only got publicity, I believe, because LeBron James tweeted about it. And so when I got the when I got the notification, it says LeBron James tweets about you know this foul at the end, and then it kind of becomes a big thing. And so to me, it's just it's just absolutely insane. You know, it, it would just drive me nuts um, to see that if 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 I were an athlete going go, you know be, being in their shoes. And so for you personally, when you were an athlete in college. What were those things that really just, you know, drove you nuts? Were there any specific incidents that you said, you know, this is, I can't, I can't really do this anymore. This is insane. Hmm. Well, that's a great question. I, I mean, I was at a division three school, Muhlenberg College, loved it, played lacrosse. Um, and what, I, I don't even know if I was aware of differences at the time. You know, I think some, you're, you're just kind of going along. You don't always notice when you're in it sometimes. When you're external to it, then you can see it. Um, I, I think that, you know, once we got a men's lacrosse team, that didn't happen until maybe my junior year. Um, you know, there would be some conflicts about, like, who's going to get the field, practice time, things like that. And um, I, I, tr I truly, like, yeah. I honestly can't, I can't remember. Um, 
thinking back to then, if I, within the context of like playing the cross during my D3 college, if I felt like there was disparities, that was also a very long time ago. <laughs> so, <laughs> so no, you know, Dr. Arnie, so that's interesting to me, right? I, I think that also it's, it's our job now that we're further removed from college, all of us, and we're adults to kind of reflect back and make sure this doesn't happen. I, I don't, to your point that when you have a college athlete, right? whatever division it is at 18 year old, I mean, they're, they're still teenagers. It's not their responsibility to recognize these things and also speak up about it. Today's day and age, particularly at the division one level, because I forget who, which athlete it was, who, who, who uh, put that thing on TikTok. Sedona Price. Yeah. Uh, who, who are actually speaking about it. I mean, it's not up to them. It's, it's the, the president of the NCA, NCAA. It's all these people in leadership organizations that you're supposed to be setting an example. You are supposed to be mentors. You talk a lot about mentorship on, and you're bringing all these, I use your word, badass women, uh, to, to, to be mentors. And, and you're very serious about paying that forward. And so, yeah, we can expect, because I mean, now I know you're, you're being very humble. You were uh, an elite martial artist from, from what I understand, right? You competed at the junior Olympics. Uh, I want to talk more about that a little bit later on. But so for us to say that, Hey, like, you know, these athletes, 18, 19, 20 year olds should be recognizing this. And then, cause they just, athletes just want to play, right? I'm sure when you were, you were playing division three, I didn't play in college. You just wanted to play. You didn't really care about that kind of stuff. And perhaps, you know, I'd be curious to say is, if you know other women or other female athletes who, even if they are cognizant of that, maybe they're concerned that if they do speak up, if they'll have some type of repercussion, right? What are your thoughts about that? Oh, for sure. So this is a huge problem um, because the repercussions are there. Absolutely. If you speak up, um, I I do think that as we talk about kind of what is hopeful as we move along, I think that because of social media, because of the women's basketball having a higher platform, Sedona Price able to post that video, it gets out there. People follow that. So I think eight of the top 10 uh I forget, I'm going to mess this statistic up, but there was looking at which athletes were the most prominent on social media. Maybe maybe this was of NCAA, men's and women's basketball. Eight of the top 10 were women. And so they have the biggest following. They have the most reach. And so people are really invested in these women as players. So, so they're able to have that reach where Sedona Price can go, hey guys, look at this bullshit. Um, pardon me if we're not swearing on this podcast. Um, and people will see that and it gets out there and it goes viral. So you're able to speak up in a way where now what she almost can't have a repercussion from that because everybody has jumped on this and seen it. So if her coach gets her in trouble for that, if her athletic director gets her in trouble for that, if the NCAA tries to punish her or keep her quiet, it's it's way too far gone. But when you are, you know, talking about disparities in medicine, when you're in a fellowship program that has two fellows, and if you have been harassed, abused, toxic behavior, sexual assault, you can't anonymously report that because it's not it's not anonymous. Right. Like your program director knows who you are. Like you can report it up through the like hospital system, through GME. But you can't if they do anything about it, if they try to investigate at all while you're still there. Like there's got to be repercussions, right? And there's no way to prevent repercussions. You're just like waiting for them to happen. Um, and so it's, I think it's a really difficult thing. Um, within Ortho Twitter, they have this new um, platform going up, Speak Up Ortho. 
check it out. Um, it's anonymous. So all these women um, in ortho that whether they were during their resident med student or just as an attending, they're anonymously posting things that have happened to them during their training, during their career that are uh, that are just unreal. Like you think this doesn't happen anymore, but it is it is still happening to not just like, oh, we're not giving you this plum position because you're the woman and we're going to take the man, but to the sexual assaults to, you know, just it's really pretty atrocious. So these things still happen. And when you're especially in a sports medicine world where it's a small group, it's harder to speak up and stand out about it because of those repercussions. So. Yeah, I, I think and and to add on to particularly for us individuals who are all, you know, I, I, I say people, there's no such thing as type B in medicine. It's really type A and type A1, somewhere in the middle. And so for all us individuals where we're just taught to, you know, put you put your head down and you just keep going hurdle after hurdle after hurdle. So I also imagine that a lot of those individuals who've had who've had to deal with that type of adversary, they're just like, I just gotta get through this. Right. I, I just got to get through this fellowship or whatever residency, what it is. I am encouraged to hear that statistic about now that 15% of women in the orthopedic surgery residencies are, or 15% of residents are, are women. But, you know, this is also brings back to this larger point that I know you've talked about on your podcast before is lack of recognition for titles as well. Right. For instance, yeah. I was familiar with this literature prior to, to listening about it, but, but I was happy to hear that. I think it was with Dr. Uh, Sarnia Miller, uh, if hopefully I'm saying her name right, that you talked about how, you know, for instance, when, when, if Darshan, if I was the moderator for a conference, for those who don't know, usually one person's going to be moderating a conference. And if I'm going to introduce, hopefully I won't do this, but a lot of times individuals, if I introduce uh, Darsh, I would say Dr. Darsha and said Dr. Shaw come to the stage. Whereas with Dr. Arnie, uh, a lot of times individuals will say, uh, Giselle is here. And it's, it's not, again, I mean, just, it's very subtle and it's maybe at a subconscious level. Um, so I'm, I'm, I would love to hear your thoughts and maybe your experience. Cause I know you, you, you've been in that stage where you've gone up to stage and talked about it. So has that ever happened to you? And is that getting better or, you know, what are your thoughts about that? Yeah, that's definitely happened. Um, when I was starting at UConn, um, the team docs, the, there was two men and myself, and they were both known as Dr. Um, T, Dr. A, like by their last name, first initial. That's just kind of how everyone was casually saying everyone's name. I'm also a Dr. A. That would obviously be confusing. Um, and so they're like, oh, well, we'll just call you Dr. Giselle. And I was like, nope, no, you won't. <laughs> I'm Dr. Arnie, you know, and it's, it's, you know, for some professions, like I think of pediatricians, like a lot of them go by their first name with their patients because they're like little kids. And so you're just like, oh, Dr. Bill. Oh, Dr. Sarah, um, which is fine. You know, if that's what you're choosing to go by, great. If that's your like blanket, everyone in the practice goes by that, great. But if me in the sports medicine world coming in as a new team physician, if the two male team physicians are known as doctor, their last name, then I will be also known as doctor, my last name. And I had to speak up about that and say no. And, um, you know, so that happens there. It happens in conferences. You know, I think it, there's things that happen like that all the time in medicine. And 
just like you said, we're taught to just be quiet, especially in training. Like you don't speak up, you don't speak out, you don't stand out. Like you know exactly what you need to know. You're as the best you can possibly be, but you're not trying to like ruffle feathers. Um, and especially I think double as a woman, like that's just society tells us that we should be quiet, that we should be seen and not heard. Um, and that if you speak up, if you're loud, if you're standing up for yourself, then you're bossy, you're bitchy. Like there's, you know, all the the characteristics that in a man makes them a confident leader and um, in a woman makes her mean and bitchy and not nice and doesn't play well with others. Um, and so there's times where as I've gone along in my career, it's gotten easier and easier to have that voice. And some of it is the confidence within myself of knowing who I am and the value that I bring to the table. Um, and some of it is just like freaking fed up with it, you know? And so we'll be at, you know, I remember a lecture recently where we had a, um, a cast tech was coming in and just helping do cast tech. And he's a former military guy. And one of the residents was a former military guy in opposite branches. And I'm going to get them wrong. Um, but he, the, the guy leading the group was just kind of joshing, like just making fun of this other uh, guy and was like, oh, the Marines was that, that was the girly branch. Right. And I just went, ha, ha, I like slapped my thigh so hard. Was like, that was funny. I get it because girls are weak. Oh yeah. Girls aren't strong or capable. That's why that's so funny. And I just, I in the middle of the whole class, everybody just was like, what? And I was like, yeah, that was sexist. It's not funny guys. Like, and 20 years ago, oh, oh my gosh, I never would have said anything. I might've been not even noticed or been pissed, but not said anything. And now I speak up about it. You know, we had a patient, um, who I was going to do a hip injection on and we do that from an anterior approach. And so, you know, he's wearing these like paper shorts. They're cut up right near his groin. That's basically where we're going to have to inject him. And it's me and my MA and this guy, this older guy, he thinks he's just being an older, adorable guy. And he's like, oh, the only way I'm going to get through this procedure is by I've been picturing the two of you girls naked. And I was and I just stopped and said, no, that is completely inappropriate. That makes me feel very uncomfortable you may not say things like that to us. And he was like, just stopped and was like, what? I, I was just joking. I just, you know, it was just funny. I was just, I was like, no, that's not funny. That makes us very uncomfortable. And he just was completely taken aback. And my MA afterwards, she like teared up because she was like, you know, they say these things all the time. And I just, I feel so uncomfortable. And I didn't know we could do anything about it. Like I didn't know we could even say anything. And you just stood up to him and stopped him. And that was like incredible. And, and I think it's, I couldn't have done that 15 years ago. You know, I would have just awkwardly laughed along with him trying to, you know, you can't make the patient upset with you. And, um, and I'm, I'm past that point now. So it feels good. But I also think that when you're early in your career, when you're a young athlete, like you said, you you don't always have that confidence, that capability. You're concerned about the consequences. Um, and so it, I think it does even more fall on women who've been doing this for a while, who have the experience, who have that confident place to be like, nope, we're not putting up with this. And I'm going to call that out because I have that platform that I can. So it's everywhere, unfortunately. Wow, Dr. Arnie, that is really intense. And I, I really appreciate that story, though, because the first step is acknowledging it and saying that, hey, this is not right. This is not appropriate. I, 
it's much easier. I shouldn't say it's easier because it's definitely challenging. It's well, what I would say it's it's easier for us as males to let it slide, right? Because it's not affecting us, right? I mean, we have this implicit thing, and we're tribal in nature, humans. And so, if a male makes this type of comment, even if a female makes it, it's not attack attacking us directly. So we might let it slide. So in a second, we'll talk about how we can be better as members of the opposite sex. But but I, I do want to come back to this point, though. You said it, you're past that point, right? I'm wondering, how did you get that past that point? You said it's been 15 years. And was it a conscious effort to work on it day after day, month after month, year after year? Did you have a mentor who helped guide you be better? One specific person? Was it a couple people? I know this is what you're doing with your podcast to pay it forward, but who helped you get there and how did you get there? So I think from the, how did I get there? A lot of it was time and self-reflection because I definitely had that like nose down, um, you know, you're just grinding through it. You're just going to get through it mentality for a long time. And, and frankly, these things keep coming up and they just keep sort of smacking you in the face until you can't ignore them anymore, you know? And so having issues of, um, you know, like gender inequalities at work, seeing it in the sports, but seeing it like personally affect me and affect my career. It, it, oh man, because some of it also ends up being kind of gaslighting. You're like, well, is it just me? Like, am, am I actually just the problem? Um, and it's when you reach out to other women, like I said, and you have that network of other women, sports medicine physicians, and they're like, what's going on? They're like, no, that's horrible. Like, that's totally not right. Like that's, you know, sometimes when you're so stuck into it and you are that victim, like when it's happening against you, it can be hard to sit there objectively and say, this isn't my fault. Like I am not earning this behavior of other people. You know, there's nothing that I have done besides being a woman that is making this happen to me. And that's not okay and not fair. But when, when it is happening, you're so, you know, you're taught that you can be whatever you want to be. You work hard. You're going to get whatever you want to get. You'll get that promotion. And that's not really the way life works. But what it does work is to make you internalize this. If something doesn't go your way, instead of thinking, oh, well, I be, like that was just pure sexism. Like I've seen this, you know, side by side, me and this pharmacist, like that's clearly just the only difference there is my gender, you know, and but but you're so conditioned to, well, what I need to work harder, right? Like we're type A, I need to work harder. I need to be better. Like obviously that was me that was the problem. And so having that network of other women and talking to them and and men, I've, you know, I've had a lot of really wonderful, like Dr. Do, like he's fantastic, talking to um, some men that I trust and think are good men to say, you know, here's what's going on. What do you guys think? And, you know, if I can talk to five, six, 10 different people and they're like, oh no, yeah, yep we've seen that before. That's some good old quality sexism. Then, you know, I think that helps, but it's still not a quick journey because part of that sexism, part of dealing with that kind of gender disparities is that as a woman, it's meant to, you know, break you down and it's meant to have it so that you are not confident in yourself. You question yourself. You don't know what's going on. You don't know what, what's right. And so it really is hard to come out of that and to build your self-confidence, to believe in yourself. Um, you know, some simple things, honestly, are that I have like the world's most wonderful husband. He's just a gem of a human being. I love him to death. He's always been incredibly supportive. Um, my family, my parents, my sister, 
Um, and then even things like we're on top of our finances. Like I'm a big finance geek. Like I love getting into this and, you know, being financially independent and what are we doing with our money and having a plan. Th- even just things like that make me feel like, you know what, if this job isn't serving me anymore, I can leave. And I don't have to stay here and put up with things, um, you know, whether it's toxic environment or just saying this is not the job for me. Like I don't have to do this work for you if it's just not the work that I want to do, if it's not the way that I want to be helping. Um, but it has it takes a long time to get to that place. You know, if if you're a badass, strong woman out of the gate, like, heck, yeah, I'm all about supporting you. But I think for a lot of us like just the way that we're trained um, and how to act, how to be, how to respond to things. It is not easy to break free and have that self-confidence to say, nope, here's what I'm not tolerating anymore. Nope. I'm calling you out on that comment. Like, nope, this job isn't serving me. So I'm going to step away and I don't have to have something else lined up because I've taken care of my finances, because I know my worth and I know that I can do this work. Um, And so, yeah, it's not been quick. Um, And I don't think there has been one specific individual that I have like looked up to that's helped me through this, but it has been many. It's really been a community of people. So that's part of with, like you said, that's part of with my podcast with Madam Athlete, with what I'm doing is creating that community and seeing that story, seeing the story, well, hearing the stories of all these women and what they've been through. I think even if it's not your identical story or your identical career, I think you still can learn so much from feeling like, oh, I'm not the only one. I'm not alone out here. Oh man, you mentioned personal finance. And if, you know, our our buddy Ryan Inman's listening right here, his ears just perked up. Um, Shout out to him with his uh, podcast, Financial Residency. But, you know, that, that is really insightful stuff for me. And you know what I will say is, yeah, to to point personal finance, you're right. The, the, the cost of education for medical school is astronomical, right? We're talking about how the system just can't loss it. it, it it's, it's going to break this. It's going to break eventually, right? Both for undergraduate and for medical school. And they say that the average physician is like, like at 185,000 debt. I'm well above that. And my wife is also a resident. So, you know, together we're, we're not doing too hot, but you know, so a lot of physicians, I imagine, do feel hamstrung and they're like, okay, I, I can't do this. This is why I'm doing this. So I love the fact that you have that order and now you're only doing it because you're passionate about it. And this is truly because most people don't go into it. And now Garsh does a lot of pre med coaching. And, you know, if, if undergrads want to go into medical school or be a doctor to make money, then it's a really, really bad investment. It's not the reason to do it, right? And so I, I always tell them all the time, but I want to come back to this point that when you pointed that uh, pointed out to that patient, right? Hey, this is inappropriate. You weren't attending at that time. Is that correct? Yes. Yes. Yeah. So, you know, I hear these types of horror stories, I'll say, from my wife all the time. She's a, she's a resident right now. She's a, actually, she's a pediatrician, pediatric resident. And, you know, often what patients will, she'll walk into the room uh, when she's rounding it and they're like, oh, hi, nurse, can you do this? Right. Where, where is that? I mean, of course, you know, I think just by statistically and just anecdotally from my experience, there are less male nurses. There are female nurses from what I've seen. Uh, I'm, you know, please correct me if I'm wrong on that one. But so that's really the assumption number one. And the second thing will be a lot of times when she'll be, 
you know, either on a console service or just if she's a part of the primary team, if she's kind of conveying the plan to the family as a pediatrician, as you can imagine, you have multiple patients in the room and the parents and the, and the, and the actual patient. And sometimes they're like, okay, well, you know, we want to hear from the attending. And she's recently been asked to leave the room because, uh, you know, the father at the time um, didn't respect because the attending was a male wanted to hear from the, the male. And and I've had multiple stories like that, which it's hard. I mean, I can't relate to that, right? It doesn't happen to me. And also like we have slightly different personalities in the sense of the way that I carry myself, you know, you know, I have a, a very much Northeast mentality as well. And, 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 and she does it. And so uh, for my Northeasterners, you guys might appreciate that is, you know, you know we, we can, I'll call it, you know, there's something for people from New Jersey to say we have a resting blank face. So less people tend to mess with us, right? But, uh, I'm, you know, I digress there. Um, I, I guess my question for you, the other thing that I've noticed, and I'm very conscious of this, is a lot of times when patients will come to me, uh, so actually my first question will be, what would you advise trainees, right, such as my wife who's resident, is without, like, disrespecting obviously there's a tactful way to do it but in this era where systems are all based on reviews patient satisfaction scores those types of things and and this idea that patient is the consumer right we've we've gotten away from the idea of like where medicine you go to the doctor says now it's we're team-based we're equal we're working together and in pediatrics it's a lot more than that depending on the hospital right it's you're trying to make keep the parents happy so how would you advise residents to do that right because that's that's a challenge and then my second th- thing that that I've noticed over the last couple of years is I've been guilty of this. A full disclosure is when a patient will say to me, "Is like, you know, Doctor Richards uh, it, it did this for me," and I'll say, "Oh, well, what does uh, you know? Did he do this? Like, d- did he do this procedure? Did he do this procedure?" And I'm much more. And then often, not often, I'm getting much better at it. Patients will say, "Oh no, she," and I'm like, "Oh, I'm I'm so sorry about that." And so. Sometimes I can be very critical with that regard in the sense that, you know, again, I go back to the point that we're tribal. So I wonder when you ask those types of questions, do, is your automatic pronoun she? And if not, um, how do you think that we overcome that? Like, for instance, for the males to, to automatically assume that Dr. Richards is a male. Sorry, that was so, very long. No, that's okay. There's a lot in there. It's good. It's This is a great topic. Um, so my automatic pronoun, which I wish it wasn't, is still he. And I think that goes to show just what society is is telling us since we have been little. Boys are doctors. Doctors are men. Like that's just what, you know, nurses are women. Um, doctors are men. And so those are, um, even for myself, someone who's like, I'm feminist. I am a woman physician. Like this is me. I help train women physicians. Like this is something I'm very passionate about. And still, if I'm being very honest, that is my default pronoun. I think I am much quicker um, to say, oh, Dr. So-and-so, wait, is that a, sorry, is that a man or a woman? Okay, so it, did she do this? Did, you know, did he do this? So I'm, I'm quicker to kind of ask um, and think about that. Um, and I'm quicker to notice when I have made that assumption and then beat myself up about it <laughs> and then feel bad about it. Um, but it's, it's not going to be something that goes away overnight, uh, to be fair, which stinks, but that is something that has been around for so long. You know, there's a really interesting study um, that they looked at little kids and they said, draw a scientist. It's the draw a scientist study. Um, so similar to doctor, but, and, you know, 30 years ago, 
like 99% of the scientists drawn were men. And even the women, like even the, uh, sorry, even the girls were drawing men scientists. And then more recently, repeating the study, they had more women scientists being drawn, still predominantly men, but they had a, this big uptick in women scientists uh, being drawn by these little kids. And it was still more of the girls drawing the women scientists, but still some of the, a couple boys would, you know, draw a woman scientist. So I feel like, again, when we talk about like, there's hope, there's progress, it is slow, it is frustrating. But the more that we see, you know, you have to have that representation, right? Like, this is important for male, female. This is important for our, uh, you know, people of color to see this, right? Like the, the, the breakdown of women being in these lead positions in medicine. I mean, how much worse is it for women of color to be in medicine? There's so much, so fewer of them. The representation isn't there. So what is that little girl who's been to the doctor all her life and the only doctor she's ever seen is a man or maybe a white woman. Um, but when is she going to get to see a physician that looks like her? You know, and so I think Doc McStuffins, like I think there's stuff happening at these little levels that are are going to build up, but it, it's not going to be quick. Um, I think when you are the woman, whether it's a physician, a resident, a med student, and you're needing to kind of stand up for yourself, um, it's hard because, yes, I can tell you to go ahead and stand up for yourself, but that would be disingenuous if I'm not telling you there's going to be consequences to your patient reviews, right? Like just like you said, and, and medicine is so drawn by, did you get five stars? Did you get one star? That patient hated you. Why? Because you didn't give them narcotics, like, you know, and it's, and I can't go in and fight that and, and put in the HIPAA information to say why that review is nonsense. Like, I would like to review some of my patients at times. I would like to give you a star rating that could go around and travel you everywhere. The Uber-based um, model. Right. So, you know, as a as a woman, when you're going to correct someone, if you're going to give some feedback, if you're going to stand up about something, um, you do have to be really careful about how you are doing that to not suffer those negative consequences. And so I think, you know, it depends on where you are in that level where you're just like, you know, I, I've been doing this 20 years. I don't I don't care. I'm just going to tell you, <laughs> like you can be at that blunt level when you feel like I'm confident enough. My finances are secure. Like I don't need you to be happy for my career to work. Um, or you're at the beginning where you're just like dependent on every review, every evaluation, every performance. You're solely dependent on what other people think of you. And then you have to try to, you know, do that differently. You have to be nice. You have to say it with a smile. You have to, you know, joke along be like, oh, no, I'm actually the doctor. Yep. Get that a lot because I'm a woman, you know, and say that with a smile and kind of just jokingly acknowledge that like, oh, yes, you assumed I was a nurse because I was a woman. And and that's a little bit sexist. But hey, I'm still smiling. So maybe you won't be offended. But now you'll know I'm the doctor. Um, so it's it's not an easy thing. Um, so I don't think there is even a, a, everyone can do this, right? It really depends on your setting, your situation, your environment, what you can say, how you can say it and how you can get that, um, how that can be perceived by other people. Yeah. And to, to your point, actually, I, one of my students, you know, as a pre-med coach, actually her personal statement was about she, uh, growing up she, uh, as a person of color, she never saw a physician, you know, of that was a person of color um, until she was a teenager. And to her, she never realized that people that looked like her could go into the field of medicine. 
right? And likewise, I think women also go through the same thing, you know, growing up, what, what environment they're in. Sometimes they have to get out of that environment to see, oh, wow, look at the possibilities. You know, it's actually infinite. Um, and so everything you've been saying up to this point really resonates with me. And there's one word I can think of, and it's, it's self-worth. And it hits me really deeply because when I started my personal development journey and self-growth, you know, at the, probably at the age of 23 is when I really started getting into this stuff. It was about self-worth. And it was about understanding that if I know I have value and I know my strengths and I can work on my weaknesses, then I deserve to be wherever I'm going to go. Right. And so I just love everything you've said to this point because it just really reminds me of that. But as Altamash said, me and him will never truly understand what you have to go through. And we probably never will. But what advice, like what would you tell us, not only as men, but as sports fans, as athletes, and as physicians, right? We we can always advocate. We might not be able to go through what you can go through, but we can be there to support and advocate. What advice would you give us? This is great. Okay. So a hundred percent, we need our male allies in order to succeed. You know, it's, it's, we can't do this on our own. Um, there's a lot we can do, but, um, but we, I think that we, we do need male allies. So even something as simple as when you're in a meeting, this is something that happens all the time. Women talk about this. Women will, will say an idea, present an idea. And then right after, or maybe a few people later, a man will say the same exact idea you know, worded a little differently, but like the exact same thing. And you can be the person who points out and goes, oh, that's great. I'm so glad that you agree with Dr. Arnie's idea, you know, and just kind of calling that out or women get interrupted a lot. They get talked over in meetings. And so if you can be the person to say, hey, you know what? I think Dr. Arnie was still speaking. Let's let her finish. You know, you can do that as a man, right? As, as the woman who's about to be interrupted or as the woman who's like, I just said that, guys. Like, then we start to seem like we're whiny. We seem like we're complaining. We're, you know, we're not being friendly. But as the man, you have that cultural ability to be like, oh, no, I'm going to cut you right off because you were interrupting this other woman. So let's let her finish. Or to say, you know, I'm pretty sure that she just said that. So I'm glad that you're on the same page. Um, I think little things like that to help the women around you are beneficial. We know that even with negotiating, right? If a woman goes to try to get a raise, tries to negotiate, she's looked at as being like greedy and like all these horrible things. Whereas a man is just like expected that a man's going to negotiate and they're actually like applauded for being ballsy and they're strong and they're going to go after what they deserve. Um, and for a woman to get a raise or to get recognition at work or to get promotion, it's actually more helpful to have other people around her speak up for her and, um, sponsor her. And so you can be a sponsor to your woman colleagues and talk up about their good work to your boss, talk up about what they're doing. Um, and so I think those are some ways that as, uh, as a male who cares about your women colleagues that you can try to pay attention to when these things happen and use your platform and your privilege to kind of speak up and stand out about those things. Absolutely. No, thank you for that. And I know Altwash and I were just talking about this, like we're going to do, you know, this is, this is why we have this podcast, right? And I think it's our duty as men um, and, you know, he has a wife that's a pediatrician. I have a wife who's actually in organizational psychology, focusing on leadership development and is very much about women empowerment. So for both of us, it's, it's, it's really close to home. Um, um, but also for the other gender, then any advice you'd give to females, you know, when you look back at your younger self, what would you tell her? Buckle up. <laughs> 
Um, I don't know. I think I've had a really incredible journey. There's been some really, you know, difficult times. Um, there's been some really wonderful times. Um, you know, I think there's times where I do wish I had stood up for myself more than I did, you know, when it was time for going up for a promotion and, um, you know, I've been interim head team physician for like a year and a half, interim fellowship director for two years. And at some point you're just being taken advantage of. They're just counting on you to be the woman who's just going to do the work while they take their sweet time to figure out a hiring process. And, you know, to have said, hey, this is if this isn't working out, if I'm not the person that you're considering, then then no, I'm not just going to keep putting up with that and and lasting longer and doing all this work. Um, and having that kind of self-confidence and worth to say, no, no, if, if this isn't going to work out, I'm not going to just sit around and keep doing all this work for you. Um, I don't think that's easy. And I don't think that I was, I would have even at the time mentally been ready to do that. And so some, some lessons you just only learn in hindsight, you got to get through them. Um, but I, I think that I've had a really, I've had a crazy ride. I've gotten to do some amazing things, work with some amazing people. I have dealt with some horrible people, but I have learned so much coming out of that about who I am, about my worth, about, you know, my confidence, my value, what I bring to the table that, you know, I wonder if I hadn't had those difficult times, those difficult, frustrating, you know, sexist situations, would I be this far along in my, you know, personal development and self-development? You know, I don't know that I would be. So as miserable as some of those things have been to go through, um, they, they weren't my whole journey, right? They were like a small piece of my journey. And, but I think they really have helped move me forward a lot in my own understanding of myself and, um, and my worth and, and what I really want to, you know, be doing. So. Such a great show with Dr. Arnie. To catch the rest of our awesome conversation, be sure to tune in next week, same time, same place. And before we end, don't forget to reach out to MR Insurance Consultants, where their goal is to assist physicians in obtaining the most comprehensive coverage available to fit their unique situation. Reach out for both excellent and quality service at drpodcastnetwork.com slash mrinsurance. And before we take off, please remember this important disclaimer. Everything in this podcast is for educational purposes only. It does not constitute the practice of medicine, nor should it be construed as medical advice. No physician-patient relationship is formed, and anything discussed in this podcast does not represent the views of our employers. However, if you enjoy the show, please be sure to subscribe, review, and share it with anyone who you think will gain value from this as well. Thank you for listening, and I'll catch you next time.